Good morning, everyone. So impressed by all of you who are in chapel. Apparently, you used up your skips too early in the semester. Uh, happy tax day. Maybe, maybe, yeah. Maybe that's where everyone is. They're all filling out their taxes. Um, I'm really pleased to get to spend a little time with you guys this morning. Uh, had to spend, spend some time thinking about what I ought to speak on. Uh, so many options for topics. Um, thought I could maybe jump into the theme of academic lectures or outside lectures, pick something really controversial that would arouse all sorts of attention on social media or on blogs. I've opted against that. Um, I've had enough of that this year, I think, probably. Uh, I thought I'd go with something very simple and straightforward, uh, a reflection on a passage of Scripture that's become uh, really dear to me and I hope will prove beneficial uh, to all of you. And so I want to read for you a very familiar story, an account taken from Mark chapter 6. Um, I'm going to read for you Mark 6, 45 to 52. Uh, you guys know the Gospel of Mark was written by John Mark. If you were in chapel earlier this semester when Aaron Messner, big, tall Aaron Messner, former chaplain, spoke, uh, he spoke a little about the life of John Mark. And so you know that uh, Mark was right-hand man to the Apostle Peter. And this Gospel is Peter's eyewitness account of the life of Jesus. And so after Jesus feeds 5,000, with five loaves and two fishes, uh, Mark records this, uh, beginning in verse 45. Immediately he, that's Jesus, uh, made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves. But their hearts were hardened. Uh, will you pray with me real quick? Uh, Father, we are uh, grateful for your word, um, for uh, the gift to us of your revelation of yourself uh, in your son and in uh, the text of scripture uh, that's been handed down to us. And we pray that you would speak to us today uh, through your word, um, form us and shape us more and more into the image of your son. We ask in his name. Amen. So, I figure this is a good question to ask you guys at this point in the semester. Um, have you ever been exhausted? <laughs> or, or felt overwhelmed? Um, or maybe you guys feel refreshed and rejuvenated right now. Um, or maybe you're getting a little bit tired, I don't know. Uh, do, do any of you guys, have you ever felt like you've gotten yourself in over your head, um, like you've taken on too much or maybe 
overcommitted uh, or overscheduled yourself, bit off more than you can chew, um, or maybe you didn't bite off more than you could chew, uh, except that you weren't disciplined enough with your time uh, earlier in the year. Uh, you allowed yourself to get distracted, gave your time and attention to things um, that were fun at the time or less painful at the time and uh, that didn't move you toward where you really wanted to go. Um, or maybe some of you guys have felt like circumstances beyond your control have buried you, um, like you may have been doing everything right, um, or at least we're trying to do everything right, and outside forces have conspired uh, to overwhelm you. Um, like there's nothing you could have done differently or could do differently now, um, but you're completely covered up with no hope of getting unburied. Have any of, you guys, any of you guys ever feel alone? Uh, like you're fighting the battle on your own. Uh, like no one can see what you're going through or truly understand it, and hence no one can help. Uh, if any of you happen to feel like this or have felt like that at some point, um, I can relate. Uh, maybe we should have a little support group together. Uh, there have been times in my life when I have been utterly exhausted. When, when I felt like, Lord, there is just no way. Uh, I am buried. I am in the middle of a storm and cannot find my way out. I can paddle as hard as I want, and I am not going to get uh, to the other side. Um, and if someone doesn't intervene, uh, I'm not going to make it. Uh, I felt like that on more than one occasion in my life. Uh, in fact, I've felt like that even this year. Um, like it didn't matter what I did or how hard I tried, I wasn't going to find my way out of the storm. Uh, I wasn't going to make it to the other side. Uh, I was on my own, and I was going to drown, and I was probably going to drag some other people down with me as I went to the bottom. Um, and that can be the product of fallout, uh, at least for me, fallout from my own mistakes um, and outside forces that seem to be conspiring against me and relationships that are strained and arrows that are flying at me from multiple directions. And so if you've ever felt like that, um, if you're like me, then I think this passage of Scripture is for you. It's a, re it's a really familiar story, um, but also a very rich one. And so I want to share a few observations on it that uh, may or may not be new to you. We'll see. Uh, but I hope will encourage you in those moments when you feel utterly alone and exhausted. Um, this is a passage that calls us uh, as believers uh, to courage in the midst of the storm, uh, to believe in God's attention and God's activity, uh, and to receive uh, Christ even in the midst of our confusion and in the midst of our apparent abandonment. Um, so first, a little bit more about the situation that Mark presents us to us in this passage. Uh, Jesus has just fed... 5,000 people, um, and Mark tells us that Jesus sent his disciples to go across the Sea of Galilee while he went away to pray. Um, so, Sea of Galilee, you guys probably know this from looking at maps in the front of your Bible or maybe in class uh, in northern Palestine or northern Israel. It's, it's 700 feet, roughly, below sea level. Uh, so it's the lowest freshwater lake in the world. Um, to give you sort of a sense of perspective uh, Lookout Mountain is about 1,700 feet above the valley floor in Chattanooga. So if you think that's about two and a half times uh, the, the height of uh, how low the Sea of Galilee was. So it's a big, uh, it's, it's well below um, sea level. 
And as a consequence, uh, when there's warm water, warm, moist water on the surface of the lake and colder winds come in um, off the plains and drop down into the Sea of Galilee, you get really violent windstorms. And even today, uh, modern ships, uh, boats, don't want to be on the Sea of Galilee when a windstorm comes in. Um, it gets pretty violent, uh, pretty nasty, um, probably even uh, more breezy than what we saw yesterday here on top of the mountain. Uh, Jesus' disciples are not in a modern sailing vessel. Um, they're in a wooden fishing boat, um, probably about 27 feet long uh, with four oars and a mast. Um, so a bunch of uh, Jewish fishermen in a wooden boat uh, on the sea. It's not quite a dinghy, but it is not a big ship. And um, they are rowing, or trying to row across the Sea of Galilee. It's a trip that should have taken about an hour, um, but a storm comes up. Uh, they run into headwinds, and um, eight hours probably, eight, at least eight hours after they set out from the shore, they are still rowing. Um, the text says that, that Jesus came to them in the fourth watch of the night. Uh, that's between 3 and 6 a.m. that Jesus comes to them. In uh, verse 47, um, the text says that when evening came, the boat went, it was, was out on the sea. So they had left the shore while it was still light. Evening comes, and then you get to the fourth watch to somewhere between 3 and 6 a.m., um, and they are still uh, rowing. Um, and, and it says that they're rowing, the wind was against them. Uh, so as a consequence, they are making, uh, what the ESV says, making headway painfully. Um, if you read the NIV, they are straining uh, at the oars. The, apparently the Greek word there um, literally means that they were being tormented or tortured at uh, the oars. I don't know if any of you guys have gotten on one of the rowing machines down in Ash. Yeah, I could, yeah. Apparently some of you have, and it, it, maybe it wasn't as pretty as you hoped it would be or as elegant as you hoped it would be. Um, if you get on a rowing machine and row hard, um, well, I'd be curious to know if anyone can go eight hours hard on one of the rowing machines in Ash. I mean, these guys were exhausted. Uh, they were at the end of themselves. Um, so they're in the little boat in the midst of a really nasty storm in the dark. They're exhausted. They're alone. They're making no progress. Uh, they're probably wondering if they will make it to the shore, if their lives are going to end in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And meanwhile, Jesus is off on a prayer retreat on a mountaintop somewhere, um, which might have led the disciples to wonder uh, just where is uh, Jesus. And I think we all uh, find ourselves in situations like that at some point. Um, all of our boats will get rocked at some point in our lives. We'll all be inclined to ask the question, um, where are you, God? And Mark is calling us to trust uh, courageously, even when everything around us seems to say that God is absent um, in the face of real evil, uh, when our society seems hopeless around us, or when we're faced with the loss of loved ones or confronted with insurmountable problems at work or at school, uh, when the most real things that face us seem to suggest that Jesus doesn't care. Um, or isn't real, uh, Mark is telling us to have courage, uh, to believe, um, to trust. Uh, so a few observations on what Mark is saying. Um, first, I think it's really interesting to note that, that Jesus sends the disciples into the storm. Um, they didn't just decide to hop in the boat and go across the Sea of Galilee on their own. Um, Jesus sent them. Um, he knew what lay ahead of them. 
uh, and he purposefully sent them into it. The text says that he made his disciples get into the boat to go before him. Um, He sent them knowingly into a situation um, that he also knew they couldn't handle on their own. Uh, In the same way that God sometimes sends us into situations uh, that are trying, that are difficult, that are exhausting, um, that are even terrifying. Um, He wants us to understand who he is. Uh, He wants to help cure us of our self-reliance. He wants us to uh, rely on him. Um, And so he puts us in situations that we can't handle in our own strength. So we'll place our trust in him. It's his refining grace in our lives. But it's interesting to note that even when Jesus does show up in this storm, uh, he doesn't immediately calm the storm. In fact, if you go look at the parallel passage in Matthew 14, uh, Jesus shows up, and then Peter gets out of the boat and walks toward Jesus on the water, and then Peter starts to sink, and then Jesus pulls Peter out of the water and places it back in the boat, and then Jesus gets into the boat, um, all in the midst of the storm. The storm doesn't stop uh, right away. Um, he wants the disciples to be in the storm. And so uh, I think that means that we have to ask ourselves uh, a question, um, and that's what do we want more? Uh, do we want the storm to stop, um, or do we want Jesus to be with us? Because I think part of what's being suggested in this text is that having Jesus is actually better than having the storm uh, go away. Um, That's that's really hard for me. Um, When I'm in a storm, I want the storm to go away. Uh, I want to be safe. Uh, I want to be comfortable. Um, Oftentimes, I want that even more than I want uh, Jesus. So that's one observation, that Jesus sends the disciples into the storm. Uh, Second is that uh, Jesus really does seem far away or is far away from the disciples. Uh, in verse 46, he went up on a mountain. Uh, verse 47, he's alone on the land while they're away uh, on the sea. Uh, that really is the worst, isn't it, when people go up on the mountain? Never good, right? Um, I mean, there's probably another chapel talk to be given on the importance of solitude or retreats or that kind of thing. Um, for my purposes, I, just, I think it's interesting to note that for the disciples... Um, Jesus is absent. Uh, They're in the fight of their lives. Uh, They're in the midst of a violent storm, and he's sitting cozily somewhere on dry land, uh, leaving them to their own devices, or at least that's how it seems. And that's how it feels for us at times as well, um, when we're struggling, when we're exhausted, uh, when we can't find our way to the other side, um, and it feels like Jesus is nowhere to be found. Um, But what this text tells us is that that's not actually the case. Um, I mean, first it tells us that Jesus can, can see the disciples. Uh, Mark states pretty matter-of-factly in, in verse 48, um, he, that's Jesus, saw that they were making headway painfully. Uh, and when you think about it, Jesus is on top of a mountain. Um, they're out on a boat in the middle uh, of an inland sea, in the midst of a storm, in the middle of the night. Um, and he sees them. Uh, no matter how far away we may feel, Uh, No matter how how alone we may think we are, uh, Jesus sees us. Um, And of course, he doesn't only see us. I mean, what what was he doing up on the mountain? Um, He was was interceding. It said in verse 46 that he went up on the mountain to pray. Uh, So when we think he's absent, he is, in fact, uh, interceding on our behalf. Um, He's always interceding on our behalf. Um, And he does it throughout Scripture. So in in Luke chapter 22, Right before, Jesus, or right before Peter denies Jesus, uh, Jesus says to him, uh, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demands, demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. 
But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Uh, so Jesus prays for Peter, um, prays for the disciples. Uh, he also prays for us. Uh, it says in, uh, records in John 17 when, when Jesus is praying his high priestly prayer uh, in the upper room. Um, Jesus says this, I do not ask, speaking to the Father, I didn't ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Um, that's us. Uh, back there in the upper room, Jesus Christ was praying for us, um, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe uh, that you have sent me. Uh, Hebrews 7 tells us that we have a great high priest, uh, a new Melchizedek, who is able to save the uttermost, to the uttermost those who draw near to God from him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Um, and of course, you guys are very familiar, I'm sure, with Romans 8, where Paul says that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's been revealed to us, and goes on to say that the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what to, we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings uh, too deep for words. So Jesus sends his disciples into a storm. They're struggling. They're fighting for their lives. Jesus seems far away. He's back on dry land. Um, but Jesus sees them um, in the dark, in the storm. Um, he knows their situation. He knows where they are. He knows the pressure that they're under. And he's, he's praying for them. Um, he has been praying for them. He will continue to pray for them. And he does the same uh, for us. Uh, but the, Jesus doesn't just pray. He also comes to the disciples. Uh, in the midst of the storm, uh, God shows up. Um, Mark says that he came to them walking on the sea. And I think that's a wonderful phrase. Um, I mean, Mark is clearly pointing out that Jesus is someone other than just a Jewish carpenter. Um, he's clearly pointing to Jesus' divinity. Uh, but not just by virtue of the fact that he's pointing out that Jesus is walking on water, but the fact that that very activity uh, makes reference to a text that would have been very familiar to Mark's Jewish listeners or readers. Uh, in Job chapter 9, um, Job is describing the greatness of God and says that he, God, alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea. And then Job goes on to say, he passes by me and I see him not. Well, in, in verse 48 of this passage, uh, Mark tells us that Jesus came to them walking on the sea. Um, and it's literally the same Greek uh, words um, Mark uses there that are used in the Septuagint, uh, the, the Greek version of the Old Testament um, in Job 9. So where Job says, trampled by the waves of the sea, um, or God tramples the waves of the sea, that's the same language that Mark uses to describe Jesus walking on the water. Uh, and then Mark says that Jesus uh, meant to pass by them. It's the same Greek language that's used uh, in Job when Job says that the Lord passes by me. So Mark is clearly linking Jesus to uh, God as he's referred to in the book of Job. Um, and then the phrase, passing by, Jesus meant to pass them by, uh, also makes reference to Exodus chapter 33 when Moses asked to see God's glory. And you guys know what happens then, right? Um, no one can see the glory of God. And so God, uh, in his mercy and grace, um, says to Moses, um, I will make all my goodness pass before you. Um, and God places Moses in the cleft of the rock 
and covers him with his hand uh, while he passes by him. Um, so again, Mark's saying um, that this Jesus uh, who comes to the disciples and walks on the water um, is the same God that Job knew and the same God that hid Moses in the cleft of the rock and that rescued the Hebrews from bondage in Egypt and that parted the waters of the Red Sea and that gave the Israelites uh, land and gave them his law. So Jesus comes walking on water. Um, he meant to pass by them, not because he's being sneaky, but because that's actually uh, a way in which God reveals himself. Uh, the disciples see him, and how do they respond? Um, well, they, they think he's a ghost. They're, they're terrified. They, they freak out. Um, and, and Mark says later in the passage in verses 51 and 52, they were utterly astounded. Their hearts were hardened. And, it, and it's seems a little bit funny if you stop to think about it. I mean, G Jesus, by this point in the book of Mark, um, has already calmed a storm once. So there's an earlier uh, instance where he's in the boat with them, and the storm comes up, and he calms the storm. Um, he's cast out thousands of demons from one man. Um, he's healed a woman who'd been hemorrhaging for 12 years. He's raised a girl from the dead. Um, he's fed 5,000 people. You'd think by now the disciples might be cluing in to who this guy was, um, that he wasn't just a carpenter uh, from Nazareth. Um, and they might not have been so surprised. And in fact, they might have seen him coming on the water and said, all right, he is here. We're saved. Um, and instead they freak out. Um, and then Jesus speaks. Jesus says, uh, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Um, what do I mean? If you, if, take heart's what it says in the ESV. If you were to look at NIV or NASB, um, he says, take courage. Uh, if you like the King James Version, he says, be of good cheer. But that sounds a little bit archaic, I think. Um, and, and take heart makes sense, right? I mean, courage comes from the French core, which means heart, which comes from the Latin core. I have to figure out how to work Latin in my chapel talks. Um, he says, take heart, be of good cheer. And then he says, it is I. Um, literally, he says, uh, it is I am. He is revealing himself as uh, the God of Israel. And he says, uh, do not be afraid. And here again, uh, Jesus is echoing all sorts of Old Testament uh, language. Moses says to Joshua uh, in Deuteronomy 31, and this will be a familiar passage to you guys, uh, be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give to them, and you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not be feared or be dismayed. And then another passage from the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 43, which we happen to sing this morning. Um, I did not request that, but Isaiah says, uh, or communicates the Lord's language to the people of Israel and writes, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And of this God, as, uh, Isaiah says later in the same chapter, thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters. Um, the God who makes those promises is the God who walks on water, uh, makes pathways through the sea. It's the same God who, pass, who promises to be with us uh, when we pass through the water so they won't overwhelm us. 
So this passage in Mark, um, this familiar story of Jesus walking on the water, uh, calls us to remember um, that Jesus sees. Um, he sees us uh, in our hardest and in our darkest places, uh, when we're at our wit's end. Um, he intercedes for us, uh, and he shows up. Um, and the Jesus who shows up is the same as the God who promises uh, to guard and protect us um, in the fiercest of storms. Uh, not necessarily to make the storms go away, um, though he might, uh, but to make a path so uh, the storm waters won't overwhelm us. One last note, uh, in, this, in the last verse of this passage, in verse 52, uh, Mark says that the disciples uh, did not understand about the loaves. There's obviously some irony in the fact that Jesus had just fed 5,000 people uh, with five loaves and two fish. And yet the disciples did not comprehend uh, who it was that they were following. Uh, but as I mentioned earlier, there were some other miracles performed by Jesus in the preceding days that probably should have clued in the disciples. Um, his calming of the storm, his casting out of demons, uh, his healing of the woman who had been hemorrhaging for 12 years, his raising of Jairus' daughter from the dead. Uh, so why did Mark pick that one of the preceding miracles, the feeding of the 5,000? Um, I think besides the fact that it was the most recent of the miracles, uh, I think Mark probably chose it too because of its clear connection uh, to Moses. God, through Moses, uh, fed uh, the people of Israel. He gave bread from heaven to the Israelites in the desert. And then Jesus uh, gave bread to the 5,000. Uh, God, through Moses, parted the Red Sea, allowing the Israelites to escape bondage uh, in, in Egypt. Um, God, through Moses, revealed himself to the people of Israel through the giving of his law. Uh, which happened right after he showed himself to Moses by placing him in the cleft of the rock and covering him with his hand as he passed by. So Moses, who was a type of Christ, uh, points to a God who would pass through the waters of death and rise to new life for the sake of his people. Moses points to the Christ whose death and resurrection we celebrate uh, this very week. Uh, Moses foreshadows Jesus, the ultimate prophet, priest, and king, uh, the great high priest who sees us who intercedes for us, who comes to us in the midst of storms when we are alone and exhausted and overwhelmed and fearful. Um, and he says, uh, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Some of you may have faced significant headwinds in the past. Um, some of you may be facing significant headwinds right now. Um, and if you aren't now, you surely will at some point. Um, I can assure you of that. And what Mark is saying to us in this passage, I think, is take heart, um, take courage, uh, believe in God's attention and activity, um, receive Christ in the midst of confusion and apparent abandonment. Um, know that just as he saw and interceded for and came to the disciples in the midst of the storm uh, that they faced when they were at the end of themselves and could not get to the shore on their own, uh, so too, Jesus will see and pray for and come to us in the storm. Uh, he knows what it's like to be abandoned. Uh, he knows what it's like to be forsaken, um, as we'll remember on this Good Friday, um, in a way that we will never experience. Uh, he's gone through the deep waters of death for our sake. He's endured the storm of God's wrath 
on our behalf so we can have courage in the midst of the storm. Uh, Jesus, God incarnate, um, loves us and comes to us. Um, he wants to get in our boat, and um, Mark is encouraging us to trust him, uh, to believe in him, and to welcome him in. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your mercy, for your love. Uh, we are grateful for a God who has gone through uh, the deep waters and the storm, uh, for a God who can walk on water, for a God who promises that he will never leave or forsake us. So we pray that you would come to us in our moments of difficulty and darkness when we are in the midst of the storm when we are facing headwinds um, and come to realize that we cannot get to the shore on our own encourage us make yourself known to us we pray that you would show yourself to us uh, just as you did uh, to the disciples we ask for it in jesus name